Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Lay Foam, where four film grads come together each week to review gems of the cinematic industry. I'm your co-host, Richard Lay, and here with me as usual... Kevin. Patrick. And Tyler. And in this episode, um, it's going to be like all of our first times watching a film from Vietnam. However, it'll be my second time. But before we get into that, we're going to have a segment in which we're all going to talk about a film. We got the restart. Yeah, let's restart. Sorry, Ricky. I just seen how bad Pat was laughing and it just started making me laugh. I was like, how the I wasn't even looking at Pat either. I was just like waiting for him to say Patrick, and yeah. I'm like, "Am I supposed to go?" Oh, fuck. I was just looking out the window, like, "What could yeah?" Was about the question, and I completely I just I started laughing out hard. Oh man, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> but, but what's the what's the quick what's the question that you that you? Oh, oh, we oh, no, we were going to introduce the segment of the country. That we're going to talk about, or like the uh, which country we want to see a film from? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're going to do that. Should I, should I restart the intro? I think that was endearing. I like it. I'm I'm not embarrassed. Oh, okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I think it's right. yeah. yeah so um, yeah. So the the movie I picked today, it's going to be all of our first times watching this film, and uh, it's different because. You know, uh, Vietnam hasn't really had many films come out from that country, or it hasn't, like, as accessible as we'd like it to be, uh, especially considering its history. Um, but yeah, uh, we're going to have a segment in which, like, we could talk about which country we want to see films from, and I guess I can start. Um, I've always wanted to... <laughs> <laughs> It's the oh coffee. God. That was me. I thought that was me. That was me. That was me. <laughs> all right, it's all of us. We're hungry. Okay, oh it's God. still early. Um, These mics are too good. I know. Now it just captures everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, uh, I guess this type of film that I've always wanted to watch is like something from Bollywood. I always heard good things about Bollywood films. Um, good and bad uh, but yeah I've only ever seen certain scenes from YouTube or like this guy riding on a horse going like riding underneath like the, the train tracks or something it's yeah. like so absurd and over the top um, it made me interested in like seeing what other type of films they generated from out there um, yeah I think like the closest to that I guess to that realm is like me seeing um dang what movie did i watch uh like the you know one of the first like early like foreign films i watched was like slumdog millionaire and i watched it in theaters and i haven't i've never seen a film that like yeah captured that side of the world so yeah yeah that's not bollywood right no it's not but i'm saying like I guess the the closest thing I can remember, like watching a film that's like you know, it's very outside of our country. Mm. Yeah, was Slumdog Millionaire. Um, I think I got my pick real quick. Uh, I've seen a good amount of films from around different places. 
But one I don't think I've seen enough of is uh, I need I may need help with getting the exact country, but like uh, the certain Eastern European, like the smaller nations, especially after the post-Soviet era, like uh, is uh, the Czech Republic. Is that where Prague is? Yes. Yeah. Oh fuck! I've seen a movie from there. Uh, but yeah, like a neighboring Eastern European, like a Romanian film or a Kazakhstan film. Ukraine, even. I don't think I've seen a Ukrainian film. Pat, you're Pat, take, taking all my answers. Yeah. <laughs> no, Pat, that's a lie. You watch Borat. <laughs> <laughs> I think a region. I think a region. <laughs> you just claimed. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. Adolf Patch is called All of Eastern Europe. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would choose. I feel like I've never seen a Brazilian film. Um, one that I've wanted to watch is City of God. Is that a Brazilian film? I think so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to watch that. That's been on my list for a while. Have you seen Elite Squad? No. Okay, that's, I think we Another, talked about that one. Is that a, is that Brazilian as well? It's Brazilian as well. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I feel like they probably have like a really good uh, film industry. Um, I'm trying to think of another country that I've just never seen a film from. Uh, Vietnam, this is my first Vietnam film, and this was amazing. Uh, I don't know. Brazilian? Uh, Colombian? Never seen a Colombian film either? Um, I don't know. What do you? What about you, Kevin? Um, actually, when Richie recommended this movie, I was really excited about it because, like everyone else here, I'd never seen a movie from, um, from Vietnam. And... I had, I know that uh, the more that you were telling me about it, Richie, how um, the film industry there kind of, I don't know, it, it didn't really exist, or there wasn't much of a structure or support system to allow filmmakers to branch out during the time that this was made. And hearing, I mean, I'm sure that we'll go get into more detail about how, how this movie was made and the influence that it left on the industry in that country. But, um, yeah, watching this was, it's like checking off another country off the list. And that was a really great feeling. Um, a region of, or a country that I definitely want to see more movies from is from Poland. Uh, there's a filmmaker who absolutely blew me away. Um, here, let me pull it up. I, I want to make sure I get the pronunciation right. But I'd first seen this person's movie back in, um, I want to say like 2016 or so. Um, his name is Paweł Palakowski. He, uh, direct, the most recent movie he directed was Cold War and which is a four by three black and white movie set during the, uh, of course, Cold War of like East and West Germany, also in Poland. Um, but the first movie I saw of his was Ida, which was directed in 2013 about a Polish nun who, well, about a, a Polish woman who's on her journey to becoming a nun, and it basically like navigates her journey, um, having to choose whether to cut off, or it reminds me of um, the Sylvia Plath, uh, uh, where she's talking about the fig tree, like oh she sat underneath it and seeing all these different possibilities, but. Um, as they fell to the ground, they like started rotting and like all of these different opportunities and like possible, uh, 
possible lives that this person could have had were just shriveling away, and you have to choose and pick which one you want before you know it expires and whatnot. But yeah, I really love seeing bits and pieces of like uh, the the country because I'd never seen anything from Poland before. So yeah. Yeah, um, I think I can speak for everyone when I say, Kevin, I don't want to watch black and white films. I don't want to watch movies with subtitles. I don't like to read when I watch movies. Come on now. That's why I picked this film, right? Because um, I can understand everything on my own. That's a lie. <laughs> can I, um, I want to do like one more quick thing. Because uh, the, the title of this movie is what stood out to me the most when you first told me about it. The um the is it the scent? Yeah, yeah the, the scent. scent of green papaya. Yeah. So uh on that note, I wanna ask you guys what are three movies that like make create three titles for movies that don't exist yet? And I wanna start with you, Richie. Um Blue Chlorine. <laughs> oh, that sounds like an A twenty four movie. <laughs> <Blue chlorine>. <laughs> <laughs> um Dust in our eyes. <laughs> That's got to be a movie. Yeah. Um, let's see. Hmm. Squeezing under pressure. Oh, dude, these are all yeah. What the hell are titles? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna be able to think of three. <laughs> you guys, you guys go. <laughs> oh God. Uh. <laughs> shit. I got one, I got one Pat Pat Super Dope Awesome Adventure Yes That's that's in development, Tyler You're supposed to keep that (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Barnyard of Beasts Ooh Um, Let's see uh, Drapes over their eyes Cremated candy caps Whoa (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> these are all dramas by the way yeah we're, we're on a theme right now yeah I'm, I'm i'm workshopping my trilogy uh i think i got the first two uh hammered out uh escape no, 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 no. little saint james island getaway uh es- escape from epstein island oh, no no <laughs> He went there. That's two. That's, that's two. A, that's that's actually, a sequel. I'm watching. <laughs> Does that. it end on a positive note or a negative note in the third one? Uh, Let's okay. see. The third one. Uh, you guys give your thirds. I'm still workshopping that one. Right. <laughs> uh, mine is going to be the mist of cherry blossoms in the spring of <laughs> an unknown city. <laughs> Uh, I got it. End of Epstein, nonstop infinite corruption. Three. Oh my <laughs> Dang god, that's the trilogy you went ending. There. <laughs> you went there. Oh yeah, they're all little Epstein puns, yeah. <laughs> Tyler, did you get all your I think I got one trilogy? more. Um, Whispering Winds of Kashmir. Whoa. Wow. That sounds like a beautiful, like, poetic <laughs> movie. <laughs> See, that's black and white. Write that one down. (laughs) Write that shit down. (laughs) So, I think that pairs along with 
the film that we picked today because um, it is a debut feature of Tran Unhung, and this is one of three of his Vietnam trilogy that he made starting in 1993, and he had uh, the second film called Cyclo, and then his final film called The Vertical Ray of the Sun. So this is the first of his trilogy, which is pretty much about his love for Vietnam. I'm going to give a, a bit of background on him. Uh, he grew up, or no, he was born in Vietnam. I forgot which city. I think it was in Saigon. And by the time he was 12 years old, he immigrated to France. So, uh, which, which is interesting because this film is wholly funded uh, by French production. So, the whole film was shot in France too, right? Yeah, on the sound stage. So that was really interesting. So I was kind of trepidatious about watching this film at first because I'm like, oh man, you know, like this is French influenced, and I'm not sure like how that's going to affect my viewing experience of it uh, portraying a Vietnamese life and Vietnamese culture. Um, but man, from the from the get go. Man, I just felt that authenticity of Vietnam. Even though I've myself have never been there, I think it just captures just that corner of the world so well, I think. And um, yeah, I want to give a brief synopsis. Um, a Vietnamese servant girl, Mui, observes lives within two different Saigon families. The first, a woman textile seller with three boys and a frequented absent husband and the second a handsome a handsome young pianist with his fiancée question um for you rishi do you think that um when things become safe again do you ever envision yourself visiting vietnam i hope so um you know I, i've always thought about it for quite a while like never visiting the motherland um my my mom actually went to visit Vietnam about, mm, say, 17 years ago when I was in middle school. And I remember one time she saved up enough money, and I was, like, in seventh grade at this time. And then she was saying, oh, yeah, I'm leaving to Vietnam for a few weeks in December. And I was like, what? I was thought to myself, like, I want to go to Vietnam, you know? Um, but, yeah, she just basically left by herself <laughs> to Vietnam. Like, she left me and my brothers and my dad or whatever. Just to, uh, yeah, go on vacation over there. That was the last time I recall um, anyone in my family going out there. Um, well, besides my uncle, like years later to get married and whatnot. Um, 
but yeah, what I hear about Vietnam is, is it's incredibly lush. Like it's so much like green scenery, which is what this film did a great job of, uh, showcasing and, um, the weather, like the humidity. So like, I get kind of anxious about like, if I ever were to think of a time to go, I'm wondering like, dang, I need to go like a perfect time where it's like not so hot, not so humid because out here in Sacramento, you know, it gets hot, but it doesn't get super humid out here. You know, like you can breathe the air still, but, um, in Vietnam, I heard it's like, you feel it like the, the you just take a shower and try and dry off and you're Mm -hmm. always wet. So yeah, um, I want to visit uh, Vietnam one day. Yeah. It's just a matter of like, who I'm going to go with and, you know, how, how I would navigate around over there because I'm not super fluent in Vietnamese, unfortunately. Um, although I can understand it, there are some certain parts in this film where when they're speaking, like I can understand a great deal of portion of Vietnamese in this film. Um, but like all foreign films, they simplify the translation. So I know that they're saying more than what the translation says. And I'm like, yeah, I picked that up like it, it happens so many times in this film where I'm like where they say go eat dinner but then they'll be like go you know go get that bowl of rice and you know go eat with you know so and so and I'm like yeah they really simplify the um translation and I'm sure that happens to yeah with a lot of the films that we watch so it makes me have serious FOMO <laughs> that's cool <laughs> it's like oh man I want to hear what they're saying like yeah. give me everything <laughs> Uh, I, I appreciate the film. I, when you're you're expressing an anxiety or not anxiety, but like a feeling of like maybe the French production aspect, like supporting the film, may have interjected. That's one of those things where I think I want to say it seems to me there was like a level of interjection or just the story feels like it was made for like the dialogue is very sparse. And it feels like there's a lot more visual communications or like, in, like easily to interpret visuals of like this. Yeah, no, no characters saying what happens, but we see it visually. So it's like even more like because, yeah, it feels like it takes less. It puts less nuance in like in the language exactly. So the translation is less taxed. They're less tasked with deciphering the same meaning for us audiences. So there's like more visual communications, more. Yeah, just cues. And it's, I'm, I appreciate the film for giving me like a context of Vietnamese culture. I love that. Like it's a world I haven't seen. It's an aspect we don't see in the Western media, but at the same time, it's still very much a fairy tale with the positive and negative attributes of that, at least from my interpretation. Cause I don't have the larger context of their culture. <laughs> like this could be like, aspects of this film feel like they're Cinderella type almost like there's like parallels to our Cinderella and that's why I wonder like I don't know what the significance of the scent of green papaya means beyond the scent of green papaya and like it's motif in the film I don't know if it's like a old cultural tradition or story or just like when she opens the papaya and there's the seeds there in the film like I don't get the significance of that I have a theory on that later Okay. And I'm excited to talk more mm. about that. Tyler, your thoughts? Um, I freaking love this movie. I thought it was like a masterpiece. Like, I don't, I don't think there even needed to be dialogue. It was like meditation while watching it. 
Yes, that's the perfect term. It's literally for it, meditation. Um, I could, I see what you're saying, no, Pat, with like the Cinderella aspects. There's definitely some aspects to that, but especially with the ending too. But I, that doesn't uh, rub me the wrong way at all. Um, and I think like just after watching this, I'm like, I want to go to Vietnam. Like it looks freaking beautiful, and I thought it was just a cool perspective to see Vietnam like because we're so, in America we're so used to seeing Vietnam and as like a war film mm-hmm. and like a scarred country whereas this is like it just looks this before it's 1951 right yeah so it's before the Vietnam War mm-hmm. and it's just it just looks like so peaceful and like they're in like it almost looks like they're in another world like that's how unaware of different places I am I want to. Oh yeah, sorry. No, you're good. I wanted to praise more. I don't. I don't know if that came off as negative when I said, it, but I want to praise the film more. I love the experimental aspects. When I experiment, like I love the extreme zooms they do and how long they take. Yeah, like, like the camera work was freaking. Oh my god. Yes. And this is the first film we've watched on the podcast. Where like I was sitting there and like m- maybe my degree wasn't worthless. Maybe that architecture and class, ar- architecture and film class with professor. Uh, Nancy Leroy wasn't a waste of time or a semester. It wasn't just a stressful class because I was sitting there watching. This is the first film where I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the the architecture of the film, the architecture of the first house and the second house and the architecture of the community with the street right there and the small little front cloth shop with the guy cutting hair and then the certain type of road. And yeah, it's just a beautiful little representation of like just different cultural manifestations of just art as well as like our living. Like there's an artistic meaning to why houses are the way houses are. And in different cultures, they have different houses, but there's a unifying theme that I was able to recognize. Like in the, in this film where Mui goes to stay with the family and be the servant, they have a beautiful guard, not garden. It's like, it's not even a courtyard because their house is like the middle, but on both all sides, I want to say, except for the side to the street, there's like a, there's room for nature enveloped inside their house. And there's no glass windows. There's no hard, heavy doors. There's no direct insulation. And this reflects in Mui's character herself, where she's very much like a, this is where I go back to the fairy tale aspect. She's very much one with nature throughout the film. She's very much synonymous with nature. And even their living arrangement is very much one with nature. There's, yeah, there's animals, there's stuff coming and going, there's foliage, the green papayas are right outside her window. It was just a beautiful communication of, like, a different culture that I, yeah, without, like, even context about Vietnam culture, I was able to see visually in this film, like, oh, the, they're living a more tranquil life than as most of us in the modern age do. They're so one with nature. I agree 100% with that. That was the thing that stood out to me. I mean, one of the two things that stood out to me the most about this movie. And it made me want to actually... Because, I mean, there's. I know that there's, like, a lot of studies on, like, having houseplants inside of, like, your home and, like, how it can affect, like, even just, like, workplaces having, like, a touch of green and a touch of nature. Because it's, like, when we find ourselves so closed off from our primitive roots... 
we tend to, I don't know, I feel like there's a fragmentation of identity that becomes abstracted the further and further away we get away from nature. And I know that um, the, the, the person that got me to fully appreciate nature in uh, conjunction with cinema was Tarkovsky. I mean, I, I talk about him all the time, but like in all of his movies, there's such a call to action in terms of going back to our roots with nature and spending more time in solitude in nature to fully appreciate it, to contemplate and form introspective uh, thoughts that can perhaps better ourselves. And um, Pat, you bring up a really good point about the architecture. That was one of the first things I noticed. I'm like, wow, these people don't even have glass on their windows. Like even the shutters that they have. I mean, uh, when we get to the second house, it's just such beautiful work and it's so intricate and it's so organic as well. Like there's hardly any rigid geometric um, shapes in like the architecture itself. It's all like very curved and, and organic. And it reminds me of like the vines and like the leaves and like, there's so many beautiful parts of it. Like you see like all these giant plants growing inside of their homes and stuff. And the presence of water, which is it was just always there. And the second thing that stood out to me the most was the use of sound in this movie. Um, as I was watching this movie, I felt like I could close my eyes and just be taken away to this world that was being uh, given to us through the span of like an hour and like some odd in like 30 minutes or so. And it was, it was just such a beautiful soundscape to take in because it ebbed and flowed much like an ocean where you would have um, quiet moments of like the soft taps of like bare feet on wooden floors as uh, Moy was cleaning them with, with a, a rag or even like um, the clinking of dishes as food is being prepped and people talking way off in the distance or um, bugs chirping like with the crickets, the singing crickets and uh, whenever rain would fall down, you would hear the soft patter of it against the large oversized leaves. And then the music itself was... I, I think that the use of music perfectly complemented the soundscape that um, they were going for in this. Because it's it borrows from a very impressionistic as well as romantic composers of um, Debussy and, and Chopin. And you can always tell when it's these composers because it's very in touch with the emotive side of experiencing music. Um, uh, and it's also very stripped down to just being pianos at a certain point. And I think this is the second movie that we watched where uh, Claire de Lune has played, yes. the first one being Love and Pop. That's and that's the best tune ever. Exactly, right? I want to like, like buy a piano just to learn to play that, <laughs> that little melody. And um, one thing that I appreciated about it was like, you can, there's a stark difference of like the way it makes you feel in both of these movies with, um, with blood and pop. It was more of like an innocent nature. And with this one, it was like, like how it was mentioned earlier, being in tune with nature. And that is something that I strive for. Like it's talked about in stoicism. It's talked about in like all these varying philosophies with like Ahimsa and, and a lot of Eastern influence with Buddhism and, all of these different things, it's all drawing back to nature and Claire de Lune. Like there's two sections in this movie where it plays and there's no dialogue. 
and it like oh it's just so perfect and so complimentary of what this movie's going for i wanted to uh uh it's a bit of not let me just try to articulate this the f- this connects back to that one class i had but like two of the big words i remember are the the magaron or the magaron which is like the greek or mesopotamian like one of the earliest architectural structures with the meaning preserved by history like why they did that and like with the column supporting the house through the middle walkway uh the magaron is a just a greek four wall room with four pillars in the center that hold up like a dome sphere that's open to the sky but its roots is in like ancient philosophy of like the context of like early man's the first essential home would be between four stable trees so the pillars of the trees and one the man is truly one with nature where the literal trees are a support for the house which just maybe has a roof and that's it and then that's where Mui's first house is is very one with nature and in tuned and this is where the film kind of differs from my expectations or this is where i get like my grievances arise with the film when she goes to the second location which resembles a penant panoptagon i believe is the word which is like the architectural theory of a constant level of surveillance not directly surveyed but there's like there's when, there's there's ways to see into a room in every room in the house that may not be apparent if you're in that room but from another place outside looking in there's always a chance someone may be looking in even in someone's room and that plays into the film a little bit later on but then this is where I have a conflicted feeling about the film's story versus like the visual communication I was receiving as an audience member but I could be out of cue to the context of the cultural significance that's a really good point i mean especially like with what you said about how um back in ancient times with like the four trees being serving as like the support for a home and living in accordance with nature it's like you don't tear down the trees you build around them and i find that to be like such a, a unique contrast of opinion in terms of the way that you construct a home yeah and the way that you view mm-hmm. nature as a whole like preservation versus um removal of obstacles and wow that, it's got me thinking about that now. <laughs> yeah, like the, how different the two houses are in the film. Yeah. Yeah, it's got me thinking about, like, how, as you are saying, like, you, everyone's kind of surveyed in a way, but, like, they're surveyed, like, by the camera itself and the way that it glides through, and you see everyone um, doing, like, their own thing. Like, the, you see the dad and his son, like, playing music. Um, you see the mother, like, going upstairs to see grandmother and then coming back down. Um I think it ties into like how, at least for me in like our household or like in Vietnamese culture itself, like, yeah, you can see everybody, but like you don't entirely know like how everyone feels. Like we're kind of like mute in like our expression. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like that's been like a big thing, especially in Vietnamese culture is that like we were given a lot of tough love growing up. You're not really, like, coddled or anything. Um, so in a sense, like, the way you express yourself is all, like, held within. And I think that captures some part of that. Like, for me, like, dang, everything that I see in this film is, like, so relatable. Like, even though I've never been there, I've never been in Vietnam, I've never... I don't know how it feels like to be in that time period. But from, like, the food, like, when they're cooking, like, broccoli beef, I'm like, man, that's such a... That's still 
a staple in like Vietnamese dishes, um, like how the uh, Mui is being taught by the older servant. I don't, I don't know her name. Is it old old T or something? Um, but yeah, she's one of my favorite characters in the film as well. Like when she's like tutoring her and telling her like how to uh, cook the food and bo- like when to like put it in the uh, boiling water and yeah and how she, she just com- like immediately takes her under her wing mm-hmm. how she complains to her about like how the dishes are everywhere and they're like scattered and whatnot and it's harder to like oh how they eat in like separate rooms mm-hmm. yeah and that's kind of like how it is for me in my household like we get our food and we kind of just scatter <laughs> um yeah and it's so different in seeing like this upper class family and then you see like this poor Vietnamese servant girl like serving them uh and like in her perspective she's just observing every little thing in her environment and her name actually in itself is translated to scent so really yeah oh my god wow <laughs> so in, in the in the beginning of the film like you see her like looking out she smells yeah she was like sniffing nature even like the papaya and like the the dripping of the milk from the papaya um yeah man um yeah this r- movie just reminds me of home and it, it makes me feel a lot more anxious now because like you know, I stay with like my grandparents and whatnot, and my and my culture is alive and is embedded in me because of them. And like in the film, like you see, you guys see the shrine, you see the photos and mm. stuff of like the the family members who have passed. And it's exactly like if you guys come over, that's exactly how like our shrine looks. You have like fruit there for the offering for the family, and then you see like the photos of like you know of the ones who passed and. I know, uh, Patrick, you've seen the video art that I made for Jenny Stark. I showed uh, some portion of that in that video um, that I made about um, Vietnam being home. Um, Man, just... I don't know. I just love the language of Vietnamese. Like, hearing them speak Vietnamese made me feel like, man, I, I, I understood almost everything, even though I can't, like speak it fluently all the way and maybe i'm like a quarter fluent which is really sad um but i get it like i get a good deal of the translation and even like their dialect because when it comes to vietnamese there are different dialects so obviously like they live in south part of vietnam so that's like the southern dialect that i'm listening to um can i ask you a quick question about that sure so um what would you say is um one of the key differences that you notice with the southern dialect versus a uh, wait, what dialect are you most familiar with? So, southern. Oh, really? South, yeah. Um, so that's southern dialect. Yeah. Uh, for instance, like here in the U.S., like the stereotype is like the southerns are a bit more like uh, laid back mm-hmm. and have a bit more of a draw to like their uh, their dialect. Do you know, like what are some of the key things that you notice with the southern dialect versus other ones in Vietnam? Um, dang, I'm not sure. I feel like, maybe I'm biased too, but I feel like our dialect is more graceful. Wow. <laughs> I don't know, I feel like it rolls off the tongue better. 
Um, and I can tell when someone speaks, like when I was in high school or like middle school or elementary when I was growing up, and someone speaks Vietnamese to me because they're like, oh, are you Vietnamese? And they'll say something. Like, I can tell like their dialect is different or the way they pronounce the same words that I pronounce are so different. I'm just like, you pronounce that differently. But then I know like, oh yeah, it's probably because like you're from the north or something or your family's from the north side. Um, and in growing up, like, I remember, because Sacramento is really good for, like, uh, not only being a diverse city, but a uh, really strong Vietnamese community out here as well. And um, there are, like, pageants and stuff that are, like, held, like, every year. Um, they wear, like, Al dyes, which is, like, called a Vietnamese dress. And that's what Mui um, gets later on in the film, which is, like, that Vietnamese dress. It's very popular. Um, uh, where was I going with this? About the Vietnamese community. Um, yeah, it's just like, it's so different when you meet people who are from a different side because uh, there used to be this um, stereotype or this prejudice among our, even our own people when like they'll call out other people for being fobs. Do you guys know what being a fob is? Like, oh, you're a fob, or that's so fobbish. Mm-hmm. It's called, um, I guess it's, it's similar when people call out other immigrants. Like it's like a derogatory term. Fob means fresh off the boat. Mm. Oh. So I, that's the first time I heard that was in elementary school from like a Vietnamese friend that I knew growing up. And I, I found out like he was like related to me. But um, yeah, he's like, oh, you're such a fob or that person's a fob. Uh, yeah, like that's a really bad thing to say towards another person. But it's like to say like, oh, you're an immigrant pretty much. Um, yeah, so that was the first time I heard of that term growing up, and I didn't know that such a thing existed, but, um, it made me think about how the family is, like, wealthier than, you know, how I grew up, for sure, and, you know, my family definitely came over here through a boat and whatnot, but I can't imagine that family having come to the U.S. through a boat. They would probably fly over here, so there are two ways to, like, get over to the U.S. to migrate, which is by plane if you're rich or, like, wealthy enough, or um, by boat, which is for all the, you know, poor, impoverished people. And that's where my family comes from. And there's a lot of horror stories migrating over here from boat. So, yeah. There's also a historical context of the film is set in, like, a city that technically doesn't exist anymore. Well, uh, people still call it Saigon. I mean, yeah, it's Ho Chi Minh City, but yeah. they still reference it being Saigon. Yeah. They still say Saigon. Oh. Uh, I was gonna use that as like more proof for my fairy tale aspect of like, oh, it's in a, it's in a lost city now, or mm-hmm. a, 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 a city that doesn't exist anymore, like a fairy tale. Yeah, the kingdom of old. Yeah, I didn't think about that fairy tale aspect until you brought it up, because I felt like everything in the film felt authentic to me from her mannerisms to, like, how I am and how I feel like my people are in Vietnamese culture. Very, like, to ourselves and observant, Um, at least for me. I feel like I used to be kind of in tune with nature until I got older, and now I'm kind of more inside my room all the time now and not really, like, about that anymore. But I used to, like, the kids in the film, when they were messing around with the ants Mm. and dumping, like, candle wax on them. Dude, I was that kid... I was like the kid in the backyard with a water gun, like spraying like hot water at spiders or messing around with beetles and stuff. Like, um, 
that was me playing in nature. And that's because, like, my grandpa, like, didn't really supervise us as kids growing up. I would, yeah. <laughs> I remember one time I was observing, like, this nest of wasps inside this pole. And I took a stick and I smacked it. And then the they, like, scattered and they stung my neck, like, a few times. <laughs> and I'm like, I deserved it because I was a shit kid. But, like, that was me playing in nature. That was me, like, observing everything around me as a kid growing up. Yeah, the, the, where I get the fairy tale aspect, it's more like the arc of the story, specifically towards the end, yep. when there's a certain shift in the story. Mm-hmm. And then it goes like a bit too far. Like, I, this is where I feel like the Western, and this is where I'm going, like, I don't have context of the Vietnamese culture, if this is like an old fable or anything, mm-hmm. but it feels like this is where the Western hand may have come in and avoid like yeah play it up to certain tropes and aspects of our culture or at least stuff that's familiar to us mm-hmm. me as a someone without context where it's like oh this is like a fairy tale in this aspect but yeah the no the film especially the i love the first hour or however long we're in the first part yeah. with movie no i love the i love even what you said about the uh the camera as a surveyor throughout the film where like yeah i did get a shift in tone between the switches of locations where when it's the the nice house with the large courtyard and the green grass everywhere. It felt like we were like a benevolent camera, like a, like a, just observing this moment of time, this beautiful moment mm-hmm. of time. And then when the shift happened, there's like an undertone or under tension that made that second part of the movie a bit uncomfortable for myself. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And the story plays into that as well, of like, yeah, that's those are, those are my only grievances is with the last sequence of the story itself everything else is just beautiful about the film and i love i loved everything they did about it even the slow pacing yeah this movie reminded me of um a lot of other movies that i'd seen before in the past that have like a strong presence of nature infused throughout them for instance uh the apu trilogy by sachi ray um, there's just so many moments in it where it's just such poetic moments. Like for instance, in, um, uh, in the first one, Peter Pinchali, um, there's a moment just before the monsoons come and we like catch a glimpse of like the pond and we see a bunch of water gliders on them. And it's just a close up shot of them skirting across the water. And this movie reminded me of this as well as, um, I always get his name wrong. Um, Apichapong Wirikusol from um, from Thailand, and uh, also uh, uh, the Coker trilogy by um, oh gosh, I'm forgetting his name. <laughs> Why am I forgetting his name? Um, anyways, yeah, if you look it up, um, it's just like all these movies have like such a beautiful like poetic movie or poetic feel to them. And Pat, I was like you were. I mean, once I saw the opening credits in French, like we were talking about it a bit earlier, um, I felt that there was like a bit of colonialism or like tra- traces of it in it, where it's kind of like propping, propping it up. I don't know. And I got kind of like a weird feeling first watching it. And throughout the movie, I did have a bit of an unsettling reaction to it as well. Um, I don't know if it was the music, because like the music, they would have like these very strange stirring moments of like um of like tension in them and 
also the Cinderella aspect that you're bringing up too. It's a really good point because I feel like this movie brings up the issue of materialism and uh, we kind of see Mui leaning into it a bit from time to time and also wishing for like a better future. But at the same time, I feel like there is perhaps a rejection of that. Yeah. I wanted to say like, especially felt like Tyler brought up earlier with the Western concept of Vietnam films. It's very one dimensional and war only war centric. And this film is even set in, I want to say the French colonial forces were in conflict with the, uh, people of Vietnam at the start of the film when Mui is young. And then by the end, you're like the, uh, like fighter, like, I think they're like F4 bomb or not bombers, but F4 jets like screeching by and you never see any American presence aside from like a siren when she's a child and the planes when she's a child. And then the shift in technology when we go forward in time to like the screeching planes flying overhead in two scenes, I think. And the, it's hard to remove the context of that era and that conflict away from the film, but the film leans away from it. Like Kevin said with the materialism, like I don't think Mui gets too materialistic. It's very traditional when she puts on the, like I know the, she gets given a nice, a nice outfit for uh, an owl diet. Yeah. For yeah. reasons. Yeah. I'm not going to spoil it yet. And then we jump forward and in, into the film and, we see a more materialistic, very Western. The music changes as well, as, along with architecture. And then I'm just thinking about, like, they're, like, a handful of years at most away from, removed from the fall of Saigon. And, like, the stuff hasn't started happening yet, but it's right on the cusp. And the film instead goes, what I feel to be, like, a more kind conventional of, fairy tale ending. It's, like, oblivious to all, yeah. all the... Th- it, like, creeps in through the sounds. Happening. Yeah. But it's like it's it's hard, especially with the context of like where she goes is like more affluent, and there's like the stuff that happened in that same city to those same people is so abhorrent, and like you, fe- I I was fearful the last thirty minutes of the film of like oh man this is and then it became clear it wasn't going to do that, but it's still a bit of like it was a weird choice, I feel. Yeah, I think now that you brought it up, yeah, I can I can see where you're getting at from like how it was possibly influenced by that western by the western like french you know production mm-hmm. um being that you know the dp for the film is by benoit delhomme i'm gonna say that i'm saying that wrong but the the composer of the film is vietnamese by uh ton tat tiet so i thought his um the music that he did for the film was incredible um like, again it reminds me of home because my grandparents always watched like vietnamese television and that yeah the strings and like just everything like that's Vietnamese the way the music is portrayed like that's wholeheartedly Vietnamese to me um but yeah well I guess we'll get more into that later on about the Cinderella aspect because I, I do see that now that you bring that up especially with like the scene with the shoe mm-hmm. yeah that was um, one of the big yeah smoking guns um yeah man uh what more can I say before we get into our ratings, um, I, yeah, I just love the performances, especially from the uh, the lead actress, um, the ten year old version of Mui uh, Man San Lu, and then even her twenty year old version Tran Nu Yen Ke. Fuck, I'm saying that shit wrong. I'm Vietnamese too. 
butchering it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, like, all the performances, like, even, like, Wien Anhua, I think, I believe she plays, like, the older servant. Hmm. And um, uh, T. Lok Trung, who plays the, the mother or the wife. Oh, my God, like, just the close-ups of her, or her, like, looking at Mui. Like, you don't, you know, you can just take so much from her glances at her. And how that uh, harkens back to, like, you know, her own daughter. How they, she mentioned that in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was done so well. Like, you don't need her to, like, say anything. Um, man. Yeah, so much of this movie is so graceful and serene and beautiful. Like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, any, anyone have any, like... Thoughts before we give it a rating? I remembered the director's name that I was talking about earlier. Um, Abbas Kiarostami, um, an, uh-huh. Ir- an Iranian filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my Once again, like this movie itself, it's so beautifully poetic, and it fits into that small little crevice that I feel like these are my favorite type of movies to watch because it makes me appreciate life and... Uh, with the recurring motif of, like, ants and how they're so small and, like, how each person, like, reacts to them throughout the movie, you can get such a glimpse into their soul, whether or not it's um, uh, malevolent versus benevolent. And also, like, if they learn from that at all. And um, also the reminder that even as the world spins round and round and we get stuck in our ways of, like, worry and stress... Um, ants will always continue to be doing their thing mm-hmm. and nature continues as is yeah this film is like National Geographic you know? <laughs> I, I read a review on Letterboxd where someone pointed out the fact that um, if you're a fox or not a fox a frog or an ant or like a plant in the film you are the star of the film <laughs> <laughs> oh, the frogs oh I love when the rain catches yeah. on them and <laughs> yeah and like even the little kids, those little brats, like when they're messing around with Mui while she's doing, you know, the chores or, like, cooking food and whatnot, like, it's like, man, it made me feel for her. Like, man, she is such a hard worker. Like, she was doing things that most people don't know how to do nowadays. And she's, like, growing up so fast and, you know, she, like, walked all the way to that corner of the world. It, it seems like, you know, that corner of Vietnam and how, like... The the uh, the mother of the household like felt sorry for her, like even as little as like when she slept, and uh, they had to wake up. Um, the oldest servant tells her like, "Hey, you could sleep in, pretty much." But normally on a normal day, she's not gonna sleep in. She's gonna wake up early in the morning to do some prep work, you know, like prepare the rice or make uh, breakfast, you know. Um, yeah, just yeah, so many little nuances in this film that I love and it's hard for me to like find many faults with that uh, especially being like Vietnamese and I can be really biased about it but man like seeing how other filmmakers tackle Vietnam and portray people from Vietnam is just so disappointing to see their like lack of empathy towards Vietnamese people even someone even a director I love like Stanley Kubrick when he did Full Metal Jacket, um, even his portrayal of Vietnamese people was just awful, like grade A awful. Um, like there was a scene where like they're doing like a karate kick or something, or like 
I don't know, like the, the guy was like being really um, physical with his reaction towards one of the soldiers before like riding off in a motorcycle. He did like a spin kick or something in the air, and it's just like, really? Is that how you view like Vietnamese people? Like, yeah, I, like everyone just good at fucking karate. Yeah, <laughs> I took that. I was like, yeah, that that one's a bit touchy, but like, I think the final character in that film is like the truest to Kubrick. Like my read of that film is that Kubrick thinks the final Vietnamese character in that film is the most representative of the true Vietnamese people, and everything else before that is like very much like the American. Like mm-hmm. much like the occupation forces there and the troops are there when they're in the city, the corruption aspect of that same force in the capitalist system is there and it's corrupting the f- people. And that's why like the final death of the scene is so poignant. And then mm-hmm. they just walk off into the darkness. I I guess I agree with that somewhat, but I can't get behind that. No, it's still wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, especially since like how she was speaking at the end of that film, it's just like, she wouldn't say whatever she was saying. It would be in Vietnamese, and it would be in authentic Vietnamese, and that soldier just wouldn't understand. Oh, yeah. You know, for us dumb Western audience. <laughs> yeah, or even like in something like uh, an Oliver Stone film, or he did the one about the the soldier returning from Vietnam, bringing back like his trophy wife, a Vietnamese trophy wife, and I like how her life was um, growing up in the U.S. or not growing up, but like having to um, assimilate to American culture. I thought, uh, eh, that film was okay, I guess. Um, yeah, like, there are a lot of films like that, you know? The one with Michael J. Fox and, like, how he had uh, to experience um, his comrades uh, harassing and, like, yeah, sexually harassing and raping a, a young Vietnamese woman. I don't know if you guys seen that film. I forgot what it's called. But it has Michael J. Fox and uh, Sean Penn. Um, I remember seeing that growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the ones I'm most familiar with is um, Platoon, of course, mm-hmm. uh, Thin Red Line, and I don't know, I feel like here in America there's such like a fetish, fetishization of war movies, and it's kind of disgusting. Yeah. It's really gross. And I feel like in, if we're not, like, if, like, um, Vietnam in American films is either a war or the only other connection to Vietnam is, like, heroin. Because mm-hmm. I, I think they have, they grow, like, the best heroin in the world there or something. American Gangster? Yeah, American Denzel. Gangster. Um, yeah, that was, that's, yeah all that could, was... that's all I can think of. <laughs> oh, was... and Tropic Thunder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that That's just terrible. <laughs> we, <wouldn't> be, <laughs> we won't go into that. Yeah. And, and it goes, uh, and there's this quote by um, the star of the film, by Tran, who... Um, it's quoted from East-West Encounters, Franco-Asian Cinema and Literature, where she alleges that French people only offer me stereotypical roles of Asian women that men fantasize about. So, man, that's really disheartening to, like, read. Because she was so good in this movie. She was incredible. Mm, she was... Yeah, this movie just makes me love everything about my own culture. And, like, I don't want that to go away when I, you know, move out and... Uh, like experience the world outside of myself and I don't ever want to lose that Vietnamese culture but I, I have that fear of like when I leave home I'm going to lose that part of me you know like I'm not going to have that again um, you know down to the food and just like the scent of my household <sighs> yeah um, 
Yeah, I'm just a bit trepidatious about that. But anyway, let's get to our ratings and then to spoilers. Uh, I'll just go first. Um, I've been mulling this over, but man, I, it's hard for me to find any fault with this film. I give this film 5 out of 5. I can imagine myself watching it again and again, even just to examine like the techniques that uh, Tran Anhong uses for this film. Just like all the long, serene shots of, um, yeah, of like their household and like the close-ups of the plants and the water and even a person's skin, like extreme close-up of like, you know, someone bathing or like you see like the humidity and like the, you know, some, like the, how the moisture touches someone's skin. Like, yeah, I don't know. It just, it really enhances like the senses of the smell and the sight and the taste, everything. And like the sound, like the music, everything's incredible. Like, yeah. I'm going to give this movie a 4.5 out of 5. Um, it might change in the future. Um, as, w- as was mentioned earlier by Pat and stuff, it, I think that you touched upon something that was bothering me about this movie. Um, because in a way, like it, it gets me thinking about the ending of the movie and how or where Moy finds herself in terms of uh, her kind of like rise into a more favorable situation i'm not sure however it might i'm kind of linking it with um what i mentioned earlier with uh, the strings and the stirring tension of the music itself at times during the soundtrack it put a bit of unease in, into me but i don't know like i i feel so ambivalent about it because i don't know what to make of it however i don't know there's something about that that stirring that is getting to me and but aside from that, this movie made me, like, Richie, how you mentioned earlier about, like, it made you think about, like, how you used to, like, go in your backyard and, like, see, like, beetles and, like, all these different things. Like, it got me reminding, or it made me remind, or, sorry, I'm jumbling up my recall. words. Yeah, it made me recall um, times where I wasn't supervised because, like, I'm I'm the fourth out of, like, five children. And I feel like after the first few, they, the parents just kind of, like, lose track of you and, like... <laughs> So I, I had a lot of free time to like go and explore things without much supervision as well. And it got me thinking about like how I used to spend my time in the front yard, like digging in the dirt and finding snail eggs and uh, roly, roly polies and like mm-hmm. stuff like that. And like, I, I have like a deep love for, for, praying, man- for praying mantises and um, any type of insects for that matter. Like I always try to save them whenever they're inside. I, Oh God. I remember like one time I killed like a spider. It was like one of those jumping ones and they have the big eyes, like for being such a small spider, like you could just see all of them. And it like crushed my heart when I like realized what I'd done. (laughs) And I'm like, this is a living creature. And I just, I snuffed it out. And so now like I try to practice ahimsa by saving and preserving life rather than extinguishing it. And this movie is so, like, there's such good commentary on that. Like I said, with, like, the way, even the way that the kids react to ants and, like, other living creatures in this, like, with lizards and whatnot. And 
I don't know. It just has me aspiring to go out in nature more and to just enjoy living. Uh, I'm going to give the film a 3.5 and I'm going to... I think I've essentially talked about all the stuff I loved in the film. But there's a certain point where the film shifts narratively and it really dampers my opinion of the film. But all around, if you're interested at all in seeing a more authentic authentic representation of what I assume to be the Vietnam life than what we have here in the West, then definitely check it out. Um, I'm going to give it a 4.75 out of 5. I really, I'll just give it a 5. I, um, just after watching it last night, I was just, I felt like I was on a high. Like I said earlier, like it's like a meditative experience. It's like, that's how you feel when you go out into nature. And I think this film encapsulates that perfect. Um, and the camera work, I think, is some of the best camera work I've ever seen. Like the, I think the first shot of the film may be my favorite. I want to say it was like a, probably like a five or six minute long take. And you like, uh, what is it, Benoit Delhomme, yeah. the DP? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did a great job. Like he uses a lot of slides, which is like anytime I do camera work, I feel like I always try and incorporate some cool slides. That's like my one of my favorite uh, camera techniques. But, yeah, it's just beautiful. Like, Mui, um, I feel like she's just, like, the most pure soul in person. Like, I like the contrast when we were talking about the ants. Like, you see one way how the kids play with the ants and dropping candle wax on them, and then you see Mui's perspective when she sees an ant, like, carrying a huge chunk of whatever it was, and she just, like, smiles at it. And um, I don't know. Like, I didn't... I had no problem with, like, the narrative shift at the end. Um, Yeah, it is a little fairy tale-esque, but I think I just look at it more as a a happy ending for some a person who deserved that. So, yeah, it's a great, great film, and I'm glad I watched it, because, like you said, Pat, like, I think it... Richie, you would know more too, but I feel like that's for sure got to be the most authentic uh, piece of art I've seen that represents Vietnamese culture. Yeah, that's very well said. Um, Yeah, so if anyone wants to watch this film, um, there is a version on YouTube that has English subtitles. Um, However, you can also watch it on the Canopy app if you have Canopy. Yeah, and that's where I watched the film. And you can also rent it on. Oh on yeah, Prime. you can rent it. Okay. And and on Hoopla if you have a library card. Oh okay, cool. Which is rad. Yeah. <laughs> like go support your local libraries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and support more um, films from outside of the U.S. And uh, you know, I, I I found it cool that even though this was French made, but it's like wholly Vietnamese. Um, Vietnam submitted it for like the Oscars. So it was like the first and only ever time in 1993 that a Vietnamese film was nominated. And I think it lost to like a film from Spain or something. I don't remember. But um, yeah, it won like some prizes and stuff. I think at uh, the Palme d'Or or something like that. Yeah, it won like a couple of prizes at uh, festival circuits. Um, And I think it was very well deserved.
Yeah, I can see how the transition in the story could be a bit polarizing, but I think that it enhances the first half of the story in which, like, there isn't really, like, drama or tension, at least from, like, a traditional perspective. It's more in the background about the um, the family that she's serving where the, the, the father um, is an infidel, where he would, like, take the money that they made from what they were selling and he would leave the family and like cheat on his wife and that's so sad um because yeah i kind of i guess that is pretty accurate of like of women's roles uh in that part of society especially in vietnamese culture where you know um they provide like the emotional weight and like the labor and whatnot and the, the father just like um, carries like the other part of the work like handling businesses and stuff the business aspect but then they even have like her handling that like all the money and like selling like you know the, the vases and um, just whatever they can to like get by and um, yeah and how like that comes back to haunt them uh, in terms of karma and how he resented his own family and because of that he may have had a hand in you know the passing of like his child and even when he gets sick later on um and when that music comes in and it gets really tense and it almost sounds like it could be from a horror film i'm like dang this music is really good it makes me just feel so uneasy and uncomfortable um and just feel the the weight of that situation and the reaction from the the sons um yeah the, their performances were so good and um yeah it always gets me livid when when people say that you know when you're uh trying to represent people from other parts of the world or you're trying to have more diversity in your film and they say oh well you should just cast whoever is the best fit for the role it doesn't matter of the ethnicity or where they're from but that's they're totally wrong because there's talent everywhere it's just they choose not to cast you know, authenticity. And that makes me so mad because this film was in 1993. They found, like, imagine, like, they had to scour to find this, the talent, you know? Uh, and it's definitely not a high-budget film. And because of this film and its, its success, um, um, Hung was able to, or Chen, was able to fund his next two films in Vietnam. So he was able to, like, shoot outside of France and actually go on location to do it. Mm-hmm. Um I think I read that too. Uh, every character in the film, this was their only, uh, only like appearance in any film except for the twenty-year-old version of yeah. Mui. Yeah. Yeah, you bring up a really good point. I mean, you both do because I feel like, in a way, it's almost being lazy as well as greedy in terms of financing. I mean, in terms of like a shooting for profit and expecting to get like a larger return and whatnot. But you're right about actually going on location and finding people from that community to help create the movie because not only does it uh, create more authenticity within the movie itself, but in the grand scheme of it all, it helps to form stronger bonds in the community because um, I'm going back to Kira Ostami. Once again, but um, 
in his trilogy, the first one in the first movie of the trilogy, Where's the Friend's House? It's uh, set in the small village of Coquer where it's everyone from that village is in the, I mean, so many people are in that movie. And then in the second one, there's like a, um, a transplant of Kiarostami himself going back to that village after this massive earthquake happened in Iran. And you see everyone from the first movie or a lot of people from it. And you see the effects and like how they've grown up and like how that memory of shooting, where's the friend's house has carried with them. And then by the third one, it all just wraps up into this beautiful, I don't know, this beautiful creation that has just strengthened the community as a whole. So I can imagine, like, um, Tyler, how you mentioned um, how for most of the people, this was their one and only movie that they had been in. And it's like, imagine going to the town that they're all from and seeing them and, like, catching up with them. And and I don't know. I, I feel like that's where it transcends the art form itself. And it changes people's lives rather than... Um, lining people's pockets with money which is so which is so much less valuable than the former okay we're uh we're firmly in the spoilers right oh yeah definitely okay uh i wanted to touch on the the lot the switch of mui in the last half of the not half the last 30 minutes i think of the film uh my big takeaway was it was this is where the narrative and the fairy tale stuff really built. And it felt, uh, I'm trying to think of the word. It felt very out of the, not out of the blue, but it felt too good to be true. It felt rushed. It didn't feel earned. And it felt very rushed. I know there's like, I want to say so much as like, I know there's very little dialogue in the film, but I don't believe the two ever directly speak to each other. Even in the ending. They just read. I think they're reading a book together when he's learning her how to read, teaching her how to read, as well as like the other aspects of like. There's all these power dynamics of another culture. Like I've, I was able to learn from this film. Like I'm Richard. You maybe can enlighten me, but like it's patriarchal to an aspect. Like the father yeah. trumps the mother, mm-hmm. but we see in the film that like seniority trumps all, or is it just seniority trumps all along gender lines? Because like. Yeah, seniority is very important. The elders are very important in that in that in our family line, and um, and staying together is very important too. Um, yeah, uh, I guess I can kind of see where you can see how it's like rushed, but to me, like I, I thought that the the whole first half of the film built up to that, you know, um, where she. What ask about him and all, all she can give are like little glances or where he, he's nearby you can kind of get the sense that like she's crushing on him yeah but like there is a sense of like creepiness to it because um he's much older than her and they've always known each other or she's known him since like her childhood and whatnot yeah that's where uh, the fairy tale stuff comes in a bit where it's like she's clearly like it is she is crushing one way hard on him and he mm-hmm. like gives her like a return look of like i'm not sure how like yeah, because she is like I think twelve at most, absolutely mm-hmm. at that scene, and then we jump forward in time, and now she's she's in a house with I want to reference the Pentagon, where it's like this. They go from the first house with nature is enveloped in it, and they go to this new house where it's less so. There's less of a courtyard. There's less. There's more walls. There's more doorways. There's more rooms. But there's like a there's like a 
cast iron, not cast iron, but there's like a, it's not exactly bars, but there's like a lot of metal structures in the window sills that would, that disconnect the rooms. Mm. And in the film we see, I forget his name right now, but the guy she's crushing on that she's uh, Queen. Queen. Yeah. She's a, she's been sent as a servant to him and it's, she's in their class structure. She's a lower class, but she's in love with him, but she's still lower class. She's there as a servant, and then there's parts... Even the house's architecture is designed where we see him in a scene peeking into her room because there's there's a lot of openings everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't necessarily say like she's lower class at this point because she's been serving you know, wealthy families. So like, I think she did like pretty much rise up the ranks and stuff. Um, and she's been living pretty good for herself, I to- think. To the first family, she rised up to like beyond a adopt. She was like a pseudo adopted daughter as a servant. So mm-hmm. she, that's why the I think the younger brother is a bit of a jerk to her. But with the Queen, 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 yeah, Queen, we have there's two scenes, and and one of the scenes they look at each other, and then we jump to the last thirty minutes of the movie, and my thing is like, it falls into a tropish Western fairy tale. When you can still have that earned, like, fuck, I'm forgetting her name now. Uh, Mui. Mui. Mui's affection for him is earned in the way, like, she she does ask about him. We do see her looking at him. She dresses up when he's coming over. So we feel it earned for her, but the fact that the narrative, like, leans into that and says, like, oh, no, actually, he loves her, too. That's where the fairy tale aspect is, because even though she's not... I. I get how she could have risen, risen to like for the mother of the first family. She's risen to like a pseudo daughter figure, surrogate daughter. Mm-hmm. And that's why she cries when she leaves. But then she goes to the new house with the new guy, and there's no we don't see in the film any connection built between them besides those two scenes. And again, only one of them they look at each other, and then we're mm-hmm. jump ten years forward, and now it takes on a fairy tale thing where her beauty, and again it's like. I think Kevin even touched on the materialism of it. Like her beauty is what gets his attention when she puts on the nicer clothes to impress him. Where earlier in the film, I felt like her redeeming qualities was her entombment with nature and her purity. And then here she, and then we see him view her when she like puts the lipstick on essentially. And she's now, now he's an object for her to not pine after, but like now he's noticed her. And yeah. She's no longer just a servant. And now he's an object of affection, and we see the notes. Mm-hmm. He's like writing this music sheet. He's like free figure drawing her face and all that. It's like we see as an affection for her, but like the, with the power structure of like servant homeowner, servant master, the structure of the house, and then like the shift away from nature. It feels I felt like the film was going to be like maybe she would realize that she had an affection for him, but it wasn't a love, love, or her love is herself, or like. But instead, it leans more into the fairy tale aspect, where he then lifts her up to a higher class by teaching her how to read, mm-hmm. and like makes her the bride. And he dumps the more even more materialistic woman for him, and like sh- yeah, it's just it absolves him a bit. But he's like it feels not predatory directly, but it feels like very like what people have gripes with the old fairy tales about. It feels like it fully leans into that. And then the context of Saigon at that period, like with the F-4 jets flying overhead, like another aspect of the film was like, it's hard to see 
like an authentic fairy tale ending. Like maybe they, like even if you, even if I ignore all the points about like the relationship being earned, the fact that like at the end it's her pregnant, like reading the poem and all that, and the baby kicks. And like in the historical context, like they're again probably two to three years away from like people who have been in the more rural eras, the lower class people who are fighting a civil war for their right in their country. They're gonna and Saigon's a famous city because there was there was a great amount of political assassinations on just based on class alone. Or did they go to the like? It's like a fifty-fifty coin flop, coin toss. I would say between like if the rural revolutionaries were to come to the city of Saigon and see Mui and her family living in the higher class, Western music, Western culture, Western architecture, somewhat integrated. It's hard to remove that context from the film as like, it feels like, it feels like there's a lot of ground to be covered there. And instead it just drops all that of like classism and the power dynamics and masculine femininity and all that and it just goes to like a conventional fairy tale ending and that's where my grievances are with the film do you i just have a question do you because i i agree i feel like it is kind of like unearned and stuff but i'm earlier you were saying richie like with you and your family like you said you guys are not mute but like you don't communicate a lot and mm-hmm. all that so could it have hypothetically it could have just been something like you know he could have been forced into uh be engaged to this to this oh, woman his fiance yeah and also just in that culture in general it's hard to you know you they don't communicate as much as mm-hmm. like we would yeah and so maybe it could have been something he's feeling the whole time and then mm-hmm. um he like acts on it i guess finally when he does mm-hmm. see her in her dress or whatever yeah. but with the photos or the drawings he was drawing it's like he's already thinking about her and he was set to be married as well, like in the coming days. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's why I don't think that that last or the the second half of the film, the forty plus minutes, was conventional to me personally because I, I guess because I know more about Vietnamese culture. Yeah, it is a big thing to have arranged marriages and stuff. That's like a big thing to arrange like families to marry mm-hmm. off with each other. And um, I want to counterpoint that. The drawings were not until after she had put on the lipstick and the other, like he, she was literally in the filmic scenes we see, she is just a servant. Yeah. Well, I thought, I thought after, she, she found the drawings. She, she opened the drawer, she, she, she found them and then she pushed them back in, I think. And then she started putting she on all the accessories. The yeah, she went stuff. to grab yeah. the lipstick. She found yeah. the, yeah. the drawings so right before, there, but she grabbed yeah, the so lipstick. Yeah, so it was all before. Okay. So he, That's so what there I'm was saying. definitely like he was, a hint of affection there. thinking about her already. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's why when he was playing the piano and stuff and his wife was, like, trying to flirt with him, he's really more focused on, like, playing the piano. Uh, and he's not really, like, focused on her as much. I mean, yeah, they, they kind of, like, chase each other around and whatnot. And you, and you see... At the beginning, Moy. when, he, like, you're first introduced to that household, it seems mm-hmm. like he's... They're in love, him and his fiance. Yeah. Which is, like, I think probably the first week or, you know... Yeah, when she just... he was there. Mm-hmm. And then later on... I don't know how much time had passed, but yeah. maybe just having Mui around, he like slowly starts to fall in love or whatever. But I do totally agree with you that it is yeah. very fairy tale esque, and with the whole looming terrible war, um, it's it's hard not to think about that. And they didn't touch on it at all. As she's yeah, they're mm-hmm. she's pregnant, they're in love in this 
westernized household yeah. in Saigon. I, I wholly agree with with what you were saying, Pat. And I think that, that, like, what both of you were saying, like, it's entirely valid. Like, it's just yet another element of this movie that... And I think it's great that we can even discuss this sort of thing. Like, it's so cool. Like, that just shows how much depth this movie has as a whole. Like, even though it doesn't necessarily touch upon it as much, it's present Mm -hmm. and it matters. Yeah, and I think that it doesn't need, I guess, to necessarily, like, say, hey, this is what's happening and, like, this should be the focus. I don't think that is much needed for a film like this because like I mentioned before, like this is trans, uh, it's more about a film for his love of Vietnam because he lived there for 12 years before moving to France and then like wanting to go back and like film about like how his, how he grew up. Um, and I guess it's just easier for me to accept that. Yeah, this is what's happening. This is her life. And then she married in and that's her life. Like, I mean, coming from a Vietnamese family, that's just what happens. Like, you get arranged from overseas, or you have someone, like, you know, yeah, you just have someone arranged for you, even though you're, you don't want to be in that situation, it just happens, you know? And I guess, for me, like, I, don't, I didn't really see that as conventional. Like, I just see it as that's just the way life was uh, during that time, and even still today. Um, it wasn't. Him and Mui weren't, that was, like, the fair, like, fairy tale thing of where he recognizes her mm-hmm. for her beauty and then she's like brought up from servant girl to princess like that directly happens essentially in the film yeah i mean i can i can see that but like i already saw hints like when she was even before putting on all that stuff like that he was thinking about her i think yeah and the drawing was i did get that twisted because she see she finds more drawings after that exchange with the outfit and then i think the fiance finds those same drawings. But no, there's the first round of drawings. Yeah. Um, but maybe, you know, I had to like rewatch it over again. But for me, I, I always felt like there was something there uh, beyond like the dialogue. Um, just the way they move around the household. Like I just felt like without all that dialogue, it's just making you think about what's going on or what their relationships are like. Yeah. I'm trying to articulate. I, I felt it for Mui, Mui completely. I just didn't feel for the other guy at all. And he has such little screen time that mm-hmm. like, I felt more about the mother and Mui's connection than I did for their yeah. connection. I agree. And I, I think that's probably the strongest part. And I, and I can agree that probably that first part of the film was the strongest. Oh yeah. And that was really heartbreaking. And you know, the, uh, yeah, the, the family's history and just, yeah, the performance, um, from the mother by, uh, T. Luck Trung was really great and um, yeah I look forward to revisiting this one again and watching the next two films um, yeah any closing thoughts before we end this episode watch this movie if you like nature yeah watch it for show this is I'm gonna call it a masterpiece I I don't know why I like it so much and I would agree with you yeah like um, if I get just the camera work like just watch if you like shooting video and making films just watch this movie for the camera work you don't even have to like nature <laughs> the camera work's amazing yeah if it would have and the directing I, all all of it if it would have gone on for another hour i would have been okay with oh it. yeah mm-hmm. it should have it's actually the one time i'm mad this movie a movie wasn't three hours long. 